Okay. Hey. Hey, Michael. Hey, what's up, Matt? Welcome back. Yes. Yeah. We are um, continuing on our our goal of recording every other Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. So here we are. Yes. We're a little unprepared this week. Yeah. We don't have a necessarily topic, although we were jumping around on stuff before we came here. But yeah. Uh, so we might be. Maybe this might be a little bit more random stuff. Hopefully, we will have pull some threads in with this but yeah i think that could be cool i mean mm-hmm. that's the whole premise right like let's, let's have a conversation and see where it goes yeah that's true and sometimes we have like very directed topics mm-hmm. uh other times we don't this is the time we have we don't yeah so i think uh the stuff with sam and brett have been really i think we there's still things that kind of unfold in that area mm-hmm. uh the time with zargoon was really awesome yeah uh he's such a such a fun guy to talk to and fun guy <laughs> as a as a reference to episode 16 <laughs> with the uh the older children with the older children yeah austin dropped that pun <laughs> that was so good yeah um yeah i think uh it, we actually have had some uh, comments on our youtube from one person which was cool yeah uh, thanks for that yeah no kidding uh so hopefully we can maybe get some more dialogue out there on that that's on that was kind of fun for me to answer that yeah <laughs> or not answer it but talk to somebody uh-huh. <laughs> um but yeah let's go out to those shores and see right. where we are let's play the music all right let's do it whatever you grab just turns to dust just like eye contact with a stranger is a rather Okay. All right. How are you feeling? Oh, man. That's a really good question. Um, well, I'll start with what I, I told you earlier. Uh, I watched a documentary on Elon Musk the other night. Oh, yeah. And I completely felt like, well, I was like, what the hell am I doing with my life? <laughs> <laughs> I think at 27, he's on his third company or something like that. His yeah. 10th billion or something like that. And that was... Uh, uh, it was pretty inspiring as far as just watching that. I feel like he has like a really specific set of talents. Mm-hmm. Like he can go really deep on a lot of different subjects and mm-hmm. also stay really engaged and stay engaged in like a productive way in a lot of different things at the same time. Yeah. It was like, I feel like I can go deep on things and then sometimes stay engaged on things, but mm-hmm. it's hard for me to be involved that productively in tons of things at once. Yeah. Well, in the, in the, in the documentary, the psychologist was saying that so much of like, uh, these, a lot of these successful people in their, in their childhood, there was a lot of things that kind of led to them being successful. You know, think about the, the jobs and, uh, Elon Musk, the Peter Thiel's, uh, you know, it seems like there's, there was a lot of challenges they faced early on in life. Um, and, and I don't, I don't, again, I don't know if that's just anecdotal or if that's actually true or not, but something really, um, I don't know, fascinating. It's like if it's almost if you haven't had enough challenges early on, then you don't aren't not as uh, productive or <laughs> or intense as some of these. What's that adversity thing that we've talked mm-hmm. about before? Yeah, <clears throat> and even what is the reference where you have talked before about uh, adversity? actually exposing certain genes in your oh yeah 
Yeah, or I, expressing I, certain genes that have been dormant until adversity. Yeah, and I, I need to go back and look at that. That's something that I remember when we brought that up last time. That I was like, oh, I need to go back and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'll put that in my notes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So did you feel? Um, I feel like it, it is a, a, an expected response that some people can feel discouraged by the existence of somebody like Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. Did you feel any of that, or did you feel? Invigorated. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. It's like I, I started. I was like, "What kind of business could Matt and I start together?" <laughs> <laughs> and then, I, then I, like I told you, I was like, "Well, Matt has a lot of useful skills. <laughs> Mine are more not useful in the practical sense." <laughs> yeah, but but look at our even our own two track records. Like mm-hmm. you started a business that's now successful. Mm-hmm. I've started several businesses which are all now non-existent. So <laughs> what good did my useful skills do for me? Well, yeah, I think there's a lot of external, extenuating circumstances, extenuating, extenuating circumstances, mm-hmm. extenuating, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I don't think, uh, cause you know, I was, I've, as I've seen you as a business person, like you have the drive and the abilities to do stuff. Um, I think you just had a lot of extra stress mm. at that time. That was pretty intense. So. Yeah, that is true. Sometimes I worry I've lost some of that drive as I've like gotten a little bit older and entered into a place in my life where I'm actually taking advantage of some of the, Mm. like the space to be relaxed and calm. Mm -hmm. Even just like, I I read a lot these days and I feel like in my entire twenties, I almost never read Mm -hmm. because I was always working. Yeah. On whatever, you know, something that I was engaged in. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if I wasn't sleeping, I was working. Yeah. And I don't really have it in me to do it like that anymore. Yeah. At least not now. Maybe that'll come back. I don't know. I think so for you specifically. Um, as, as I think as you've kind of come through the season, through the divorce, getting settled with your kids and being in the space, uh, you know, there's a certain amount of like opening that's happened for you. And it seems like it might not be right now, you know, but I think like more space is being created for you. Mm. You know, I think, and you're also creating more space. Um, so I think that's, uh, even kind of like, you know, you were talking about earlier, it's sort of, you know, when you have all this free time on your hand, it's like, what do I do with this? Mm. It's like, you you haven't been maybe used to that as much because it's it was either taken up from you know working through an an issue or a problem that you had to solve relationally you know that you know two or three years ago and uh, again I'm just making a guess you can tell me you can right. tell me I'm full of shit if you want to. <laughs> you know and that takes a lot of that takes a lot of space mental space in your head and heart and all that jazz. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I hear it in your music, you mm. know, uh, you know, the depth of our conversations are, I, I like to think they're, <laughs> I like to think they're deep, yeah. <laughs> you know? So I think part of it, I'm, that's why I'm, I'm always so curious. Like even like the business idea, you know, it's like, what would we create? You know, what, what, what is a more in a business type sense? Mm. Uh, I think that would be really fascinating, you know, to, to think about if not anything, just for an exercise. You yeah. Know? Um, Come up with an idea and write a business plan. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm good at those. Yeah. <laughs> I used to write a bunch of Put proposals. you on spreadsheet duty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got that down. <laughs> I used to write, a, a, I would come up with different ideas and I'd do like a one sheet on it. It's like purpose, why, how, what do I need to accomplish this? You know, what are, what would keep me from doing this and what impact would it have? See, that was something I was never good at. Like, I think one of my most potentially, one of my potentially best business ideas that I had was this, uh, API based content management system for website data. Mm -hmm. And I ran that, uh, actually started it and ran it as a software as a service for, I don't know, four or five years. Um, and there was a time when I was actually looking, trying to like think about taking that to the next level and getting getting investors and building out that business in a way that I sort of couldn't on my own. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to a lot of people, and they were trying to get me to make business plans and pitch decks. And mm. I I would sit down and start trying to do it, and then get distracted by something else I wanted to add to the product itself, and then I would just start working on the product again. Oh, interesting. And forget that I needed to ensure its survival mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and and eventually its survival was doomed by that it yeah. kind of reminds me of um man so in the the, the music streaming world um it's kind of hard to remember but just four or five years ago we were still buying and downloading music there mm-hmm. was not very many streaming services mm-hmm. and spotify started up and it wasn't available in the u.s for a long time and there was a company that started called rdo and RDO had a couple of different services, but one was they were a, a legit streaming platform. Mm-hmm. And this application was, I think it's mostly remembered at this point by designers mm-hmm. because it was so beautifully done. Oh, wow. Like the user experience was incredible. Hmm. Um, and I think actually Apple ended up buying them maybe and as a talent acquisition and just took their people and they got folded into the Apple Music thing. I may be wrong about that. I don't remember. But I remember really mourning the loss of that system because it was like, it changed the way that I listened to music. Hmm. Oh, no, they didn't, Apple didn't. Apple may have gotten some of their assets. No, no. Their assets went to Pandora. That's what it oh, was. Oh, gotcha. Anyways, they ended up going out of business because they were so focused on making their product that apparently, I read this article, they, apparently they just like failed to hire a marketing department at all. Uh they were just all so consumed with making a great product they forgot to hire anybody to go out there and tell people about it so that people Mm -hmm. would use it and those of us that were really immersed in the design world sort of found it because we're out there looking for stuff all the time and loved it told each other about it but it never like got enough of a user base Mm -hmm. to actually become a viable thing because in the music streaming realm profits profit margins are tiny I mean Mm -hmm. I, I feel like I heard that even Maybe even now Spotify isn't even profitable. No, um, and Apple Music has a big leg up on them because Apple is Apple. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't need Apple Music to be profitable. It can be a loss leader for them. Yeah. Um, but the the profits are tiny. I mean, so I'm a musician. I have my music up on all the streaming platforms. I think I make half of a penny for every stream. Hmm. So there's just very little money there. Um, but really interesting that a company can be done in despite having an excellent product. I mean, that, that, that's the moral of the story for me is that like excellent products can speak for themselves, but that doesn't mean that they're going to last or Mm -hmm. work as a business. You need the business mind to write the business plan 
and to execute against that, mm-hmm. sometimes at the expense of really great product design. Yeah. Isn't that the hardest thing? I think that's one thing I try to communicate in my business is, is it's really great to do all these things, but if we don't make money, <laughs> it doesn't like we can't anything. do anything. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's really hard because I'm 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 not I'm I'm more of the dreamer, visionary person, and so I've had to learn to come back into that nuts and bolts mm-hmm. type of thing, uh, and I'm getting better and better in that area. But I'm definitely more in the visionary. I'm not good at maintaining things. I'm good at building things. Well, one thing I've seen that's <clears throat> I think you're really good at is is identifying that through periods in your life and mm. seeing those as seasons, like mm. allowing yourself a season of thinking long-term visionary mm-hmm. and then realizing when it's time to shift focus to the present and now and make sure that things get done. Yeah, usually it's a punch in the face. I'm like, oh, okay, yes, I need to, <laughs> <laughs> I need to focus on nuts and bolts now. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. But I, 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 but I notice it a lot faster now than mm-hmm. I used to. Rather than two punches, it's like a half a punch or something like that. <laughs> <I'm> like, oh, <laughs> it takes okay. less. It takes less. That's yeah. good to know. Yeah, but but that's a good thing about right now is I'm I'm able to move back into that dreaming vision area hmm. and also some nuts and bolts stuff like changing accounting software and yeah to meet our you know Medici as a bigger entity and stuff. So um, yeah, but it's, there's there's all this maintenance that that has to go on and all that. And, well, it's funny. I'm actually getting better at that. But higher level maintenance, like like uh, very like very minutiae stuff, I, I just I get lost in that. So. Hmm. But I'm just sort of thinking like this has to be true not just in business but in the mm-hmm. in in life in your yeah. daily life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you got to be kind of good at both. Mm-hmm. You got to cast a vision for yourself, but you've also got to be. Oh, I had a I had a phrase in my head some years back, which was like, "You got to be honest about the things that can take the ship down." Yeah, because those things can seem small and insignificant, and you can sort of like brush them to the side mm-hmm. until finally they get big enough, and all of a sudden the whole ship is sinking. Yeah, you know, you don't realize it. You got to be honest about that stuff when it comes up. Mm-hmm. So you got to like take care of the nuts and bolts of your life, whether that means you know, recognizing that exercise is important in your life or rec- mm-hmm. recognizing that eating a certain way or, you know, taking the time to spend with your partner or your kids mm-hmm. or, yeah, I don't know, paying your taxes. <laughs> That's very nuts and bolts. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're in prison, you can't make it happen. Um. But then again, if you don't sort of take time to also cast the vision you lose the energy to take care of the nuts and bolts and mm-hmm. taking care of the nuts and bolts doesn't really push the for- the ship forward anyway. Yeah. What do you, what do you feel like you kind of, uh, you were saying as far as like with your company developing the software or the programs was mm-hmm. kind of something that you, uh, most interest to you. Is that, what would you call that as far as like, or would you even say that that's kind of your, um, superpower, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I always got the most engaged and sort of like, uh, when you're interested in engaged in something, you sort of get this like narrowing of focus. Mm -hmm. And I always felt that the most when I had an idea and then thought, I can make this happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Like hands on the keyboard, make it happen. That always really engaged me. It was Mm -hmm. harder for me to feel that engagement for longer term things Mm -hmm. like 
I don't know, email marketing or SEO optimization, things that sort of take an understanding and execution now, but it's sort of the long game that you're playing where you're, you're, you're really going to see results a year down the road or something like that. Yeah. That was always harder to engage me. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I'm also in certain ways I've recognized that about myself and I'm trying to invest in things that aren't my sort of, that, that aren't easy for me to get engaged in mm-hmm. to see what areas, cause I want to grow. I mean, I want like to, what areas are you thinking of right now? Well, I, I'm thinking about my current job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because after my, after I stopped doing my startups and moved into corporate America, um, I was a sort of hands-on keyboard guy for a while and over the last couple of years have moved into more of a management position. And one of the things that's been hard for me is to not just sit down and do everything myself hmm. and to put together a team that I can help and that they can grow individually and I can learn how to grow in a different capacity. Yeah. Like that's taken, I have to be aware of doing that mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm still learning. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like it's, uh, as far as dealing with different personalities in that area, is that, is that something that has been fairly easy for you or is that also a, a challenge? And trying surely. to get all those different people. Yeah. To, surely to that's to a challenge. Bring, bring into focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That has, that has been a challenge. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe less so than I might expect. I don't know. I don't yeah. have a ton to say about that. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to get everyone, moving in a certain direction is, but then you build momentum. Like right now I feel like Medici, we've got a momentum behind us, mm-hmm. which is really, which is really helpful. It's, we're becoming more and more defined of like what we're doing and purpose and yeah. that kind of stuff. Uh, but I think that also just came through years of pointing yeah. in some sort of direction. You're like, ah, uh, and okay. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it looks like it, <laughs> but, but it's hard. Like when you're, you've got so many different, people with different, you know, things that they're, they want to accomplish in their lives. And how does this, how does, how does Medici fit into that as well? You know, um, I think that's, it's a, it's a challenge. If people, the people factor is always really challenging, but also once you get it moving in the right direction, it seems like it's really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, Cause with white loop, you, it was just you, like you didn't have anybody else. Um, oh, my brother. So at that time, my brother was on board with us and, um, my friend George. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the three of us working on that. I don't think I've ever met George Henderson. Yeah. Yeah. You were at first Fridays. He was there. Oh goodness. Okay. It was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we were sort of, so white loop was a, a website builder for photographers. That was a super invigorating thing to work on. Um, it actually felt like we got a little momentum there for a little while. Um, but yeah, we had a, we had a small team. We were working on white loop and that CMS that I talked about and Mm -hmm. also designing and developing custom websites for clients. And that was kind of funding the whole thing. Mm -hmm. It was a fun time. Yeah. 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 It was like a bunch, a big group of you guys uh, Mm -hmm. when I came in, met (laughs) y'all. Right. Yeah. And then we, Stu Smith kind of came, came around and, um, we did a bunch of work together and started a co-working space downtown upstairs above the library bar on mm-hmm. 6th street on 36. That was an experience. Um, uh, and there was a bunch of creatives there and 
that was really pregnant with potential. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of interesting to watch something like that or to remember something like that and how much potential I felt back then and, and how that s- seemingly amounted to nothing. Yeah. And I don't think that's true. I think that's actually like a really bad way to look at it. Mm-hmm. It just didn't amount to what I had in my mind that I thought it could or wanted it to, you know? Well, I think, it, I, think I feel like that is very accurate. You know, as, as, uh, there was a lot of potential there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, but also, it seemed like it also though, attributed to your being able to get the job that you have now because Definitely. of all that experience. Definitely. But again, I never understood exactly what all you guys were talking about. <laughs> and all you were just like, uh-huh. Design. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> That's a word I know. A website. Oh yes, yeah. I know that yeah. One. Um, but there was that energy there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, um, I think there was a lot of potential there. Yeah. And to hear you talk about it and, and I know you were going through, you were talking to different investors and, and that was, it seemed like it was exciting, but then also like there was some things that could have happened. Yeah. But that was kind of when everything started. I wonder about that too. Like, if, if the things that I had thought could happen or wanted to happen, if mm-hmm. they had happened, you know, I don't know if I'd be happy with that. It's, I mean, it's yeah. impossible to say. I mean, yeah. it's speculatory, but mm-hmm. um, I mean, ultimately, life has been really rich. I, you know, I, I don't know that I would necessarily go back and change anything. Oh, yeah. No, I don't. Yeah, that's, that's, that's I think that's not something... I don't, I don't like the idea of going back and changing anything. Right. You know, that would be. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. That's a, that's a hard one as far as. Is there, I mean, is there anything in your life that you would change? No. Uh, I mean, it's like all, it's all been. As, as, you know, frustrating as certain things have been, I guess that was, that was when you were saying that that's what was, I was thinking of is, <clears throat> is being able to go after different dreams. And even if you fail, you know, I think that's the part it's like, you have this, like you were saying, you had this vision, you had this direction that you were going with uh, just in business wise, you know, um, but I think there's something in that because I, I was just thinking about the Elon Musk when I was watching uh, watching that documentary, and you know it's like you almost dream so big that you just you have to <laughs> you have to just go all in, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of sad things that go along with this, and that's the part. I, there's a guy I've, I've known for a long time, and we've always argued about um, whether or not in order to be successful usually means, you know, divorces and, Hmm. you know, estrangement from children. Well, when we're talking about success as defined by the upper echelon of sort of the CEO figure, the the multimillionaires, Mm -hmm. I would even say higher than that. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking like, if you want to be a billionaire, yeah, Yeah. it probably does require that, Mm -hmm. or at least that's what the evidence seems to say. Well, in business in general, I mean, restaurant owners, mm, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's just rife with, I mean, I think divorce is the biggest, um, thing I see. And also just, you know, be spending time with your kids and, mm-hmm. um, health, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, 
you know, I, I've been fortunate to meet a lot of people that, you know, run businesses and, you know, a lot of, a lot of us are really, it's pretty stressful, you know? Yeah. And that's not something you can show to everybody because then you don't have the, uh, nobody will believe you. <laughs> I read an article about CEOs. It's like a lot of people boohoo them and say like, Oh, you have all this money to do this stuff. But if a CEO says something about how he's having a hard time, his stock could crash. Mm, that's interesting. You know? And so, yeah, because we assign the success of the company to that guy's woman or man's mm-hmm. psychological state. And if there's, st- well, it's like, didn't Tesla tank 7% when Elon <laughs> smoked pot on Joe Rogan? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know if I can handle the stress of having something be tied to my mental state that way, especially mm-hmm. as a, as a public figure, yeah. a celebrity figure where everything that happens in your life can end up on the internet, mm-hmm. whether you want it to or not. That's yeah. a lot of pressure. Yeah, or being a president or a state representative. Yeah, uh, I'm actually not to take this into a political landscape, but I just mm-hmm. want to say I'm I'm kind of shocked that Trump has not cracked psychologically. Yeah, well, it depends who you ask. Him. I guess suppose it does. <laughs> I mean, but yeah. I don't know. Like, I feel like at the very beginning there was some article that was written where he just sort of admitted how hard it was that it was like way harder than he expected, which I thought was. I was shocked that he admitted that. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh, what if he just resigns? Like, what if he can't hack it? He can't handle it. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of surprised that under all of the pressure, he's remained. I I wanted to use the word coherent, but I I, I feel like it's too too easy to argue. He's remained enough. He hasn't changed all that much. Like his character has stayed predictable. Uh And that's, that is surprising. That is really surprising. Yeah, I think you and I are too, uh, what would you say, we're too nonpartisan when we talk about this stuff. So, uh, Hmm. you know, it's, so I can, I can hear the other, the two, the two other arguments, you know, maybe more conservative or liberal arguments on this, but you and I are not very, we kind of. Well, I feel very nonpartisan. Yeah. And I think actually it's one of the reasons I'm hesitant to talk politics on our podcast, because Mm. I feel like. I've gotten into trouble even just talking about politics with friends because I don't, like I've been told like uh-huh. you don't take a stand uh-huh. yeah. and I'm like, I guess not. It's, it's just more interesting to talk about mm-hmm. than to like come to a conclusion on for me. Yeah. Which I, which I agree. I think we both, <laughs> we both kind of sit there. You right. Know? I mean, we did, we do come to conclusions, but we don't hold, and especially in politically, we don't hold those conclusions tightly mm-hmm. like it's a, it's a very right. it's a very loose hand like as far as i understand this giving looking at this perspective and this perspective this is the conclusion i've come to what do you think about that yeah you know i don't um, well and these days it's really hard to say as far as what i've seen and what i understand because mm-hmm. that's not saying very much yeah. I and mean, there's so many, it's like, depending on what you read about any given thing, you're going to get something wildly different. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to know what's actually happened and what, you know, what is the story there? Yeah. So it's like, I feel like I have to take everything, hold everything really loosely. Well, I wonder if, I wonder if our narratives are so much more polarized today. I, I'm trying to think back because even, oh man, it, Anybody who's very politically uh, active might disagree with this, and I, I don't really. But my understanding is, up until the '90s, 
Republicans and Democrats got along fairly well. Hmm. You know, I mean, obviously there's a differences and they have, you know, there's the basic disagreements, but it wasn't as contentious or dividing as it is today. Right. And you know, part there was, was like, also a lot that? more like, I guess it's hard to say because I was a kid, mm-hmm. but I, I feel like I was raised where the office of the president of the United States was what held respect. Yeah. And you, you held respect for who was sitting in that chair. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter if it was a Republican or a Democrat. Yeah. And during the state of the union address, you sit down and you listen mm-hmm. respectfully, Yeah. you know, and that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. No. And I can just hear somebody saying, well, that's because Trump is, yeah, you yeah. know, and I, and maybe, you know, <laughs> fair enough. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it's hard for me to imagine that like people didn't feel somewhat similarly when Reagan became president, like, you yeah. know, another just sort of previous celebrity with no experience. Mm-hmm. Well, it could be just with the internet too, that everything is so much more contentious and available and, you know, what is it? Oh shoot. Here I go with my ignorance. Uh, but we're on the shores of ignorance. So that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> was it Teddy Roosevelt in the wheelchair? Oh damn it. Yeah, I know. That sounds right. But that was like that was like right at the advent of I think TV cameras. Mm. Well, he, didn't he do the fireside chat? Yeah. But that was that was radio. That's that's right. That was radio. Kennedy was I think the first uh televised president. Hmm. Which was fascinating because you did have this like really handsome man, you know, like, very charismatic. Very charismatic. Uh you know, and how much, and there's, I've heard some argument about how much that actually led to his becoming president, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah, I wonder if it's even hard to compare politics post 2000 to pre 2000 mm-hmm. because the advent of the internet and social media and constant exposure of every kind mm-hmm. has changed everything. Yeah. It seemed to start with Clinton. I mean, I think that was like towards the end of Clinton's and then Bush's. Hmm. Bush's was the most, I mean, the Iraqi war, like that was the most televised war ever Hmm. in the history of mankind. Like we knew about every single, I mean, I'm I'm being uh, uh, hyperbolic. Hyperbolic. (laughs) Hyperbolic. That was always a weird word to me. I know. I love it though. Um, But we almost knew every single bomb that went off and where it went Hmm. off. And where all of our troops were, I mean, right. part of me was like, I was always thinking, watching, like, what if they're just watching the news and they're, they, you know, the, the Iraqis or whatever, you know, like, oh, hey, there's some people coming this way, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, we're just so much more um, aware of where it's like, you know, oh, we're going to Vietnam, oh, we're going to Vietnam, and then you get these little clips of what that is going to Vietnam, yeah. Know? Um, but, oh, I guess we were talking about leaders and <laughs> circle back. I don't remember where we were. Yeah. Should we get off of politics? I don't know. Well, I mean, if, if you think about... You talk about the Oscars? The Oscars. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, that's another... I, I don't really... I'd never know Oscars, Emmys, Tonys. Which is which? What What is what? I have. I never know. Like, no. what, what is the one that uh, Ricky Gervais... What was that one? I feel like he used to do the Oscars. Was it the Oscars? Yeah, but they don't have people hosted anymore because oh. it's too woke. 
Oh, because of... Uh, um, no, oh, Ricky Gervais did one recently. I don't remember what it was. Yeah, where he pretty much insulted everybody. He just roasts everybody. It was great. <laughs> yeah, that was really funny. Cheers to him for having the balls to do that still. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think only Ricky Gervais can get away with that. I'm surprised he does, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure what the dynamic there is. Mm-hmm. He just has, like, gained enough. Oh, he just doesn't care. Hmm. But it's interesting. I mean, I, I, golly, there's so many people that just disagree in all sorts of areas in this area. But uh, I kind of feel like if you're if you go see a comic, everybody should be offended. Mm. It's it, you know, it's like not the whole time, but like you know, you're going to get your time that right. you're going to get offended. Right. You know? And so you laugh at eighty percent of it, and you're offended twenty percent of it. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I I think I agree. I I feel like offense is at the core of comedy. Yeah. It, it's like in the, the master comics know how to offend you, but it's not offending you necessarily. It's exposing you mm-hmm. to your own, um, like your own hubris or your own, mm-hmm. the places where, what is that? What I don't know what I'm saying. It's like you've over indexed on something and mm-hmm. they show it to you in a way where you're like, Oh yeah, that's true. I really <laughs> did. You know? Uh-huh. Yeah. The, it's the court jester, you know, the one who can speak mm. truth to the king. Oh yeah. That kind of idea. I think that's, that's, we've talked about that before. I mm-hmm. love that. Mm-hmm. Explain that more though. The court jester is the, is the only person who can speak the truth to the king. Yeah. And he basically kind of uh, jokes and prods, but, uh, the idea is that the, the, the jester's there to kind of like keep the king humble and to uh, its humanity. And there was also a part two, I think Peterson got into that where, um, oh, there was some kingdom, God, I'm going to kill this one, where the king would become basically a peasant for a day and everyone would tell the king how horrible he was or all the things he did wrong. Hmm. And then, you know, the next day he'd be ascended. But the idea was to bring the king low and uh, so that he kind of knew his place, you know, but then he would ascend back to being a king. Hmm. Well, now, now we just have that day every day of the year with Twitter. <laughs> That's so true. Well, I was thinking about that too, because every single, every single holiday, it's like, it just doesn't even matter what it is. President's day or some sort of day. I always, I always, I wish sometimes we could just celebrate something, but I, and not have to be yeah. woke about it. Well, yeah, I mean, woke is that's pretty. That's really triggers me. Does it? <laughs> uh, well, it, it just can we not be just like celebrate like Fourth hmm. of July? We're not perfect, you know. Let's just celebrate. Celebrate, yeah. You know, it's like that's there's there is some really amazing things that I feel like this, birthdays are the only thing left for that's valid. Ooh, let me see if I can pull that one apart. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. <laughs> no, I don't want to start trying that one. That would get too ridiculous. Um, I mean, it really does feel that way. It's like, yeah. you're never going to tear somebody down on your birthday. Yeah. That would be awful. Or like Christmas, like, well, Jesus wasn't really born on Christmas Day. <laughs> yeah, but every other thing uh-huh. that you celebrate is like uh-huh. steeped with the, the haters and the, mm-hmm. the yeah. Yeah. That Christmas whole thing. was a pagan holiday and the trees and you're, <laughs> you're like, Oh, okay. Well, can we just enjoy it though? Yeah. Like save that for every other day of the year. Yeah. Yeah. 
but is it is it a reaction that maybe we have i don't know i mean why why are we so is it a reaction because we've been so naive maybe towards our past or some of these are are we just we're just finding out like santa claus is not real you know and we're angry because our parents didn't tell us santa claus is real I don't know. I feel like I've been spending a lot of time trying to figure that out. Like, because it seems like there's something really important that's lost when you, well, like you're telling the story about, you know, the, the one day a year where you can bring the king down mm-hmm. and then the rest of the year he ascends. Yeah. And it's that there's something in there that seems really necessary. Like the mm-hmm. king needs to not be brought down every day because he needs to be the king. Yeah. Um, there's something in that narrative that seems really important, but I think we have in this day and age, come to represent the king not as the wise, discerning, benevolent mm-hmm. power, but the oppressor. Yeah. And needs to be exposed for what he is. Mm-hmm. It's like we're trying to expose everything mm-hmm. for what bad it has. Yeah. And, and like the problem is that everything has something bad in it. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, everything burns. Yeah. Although that flies in the face of sort of the, the, the archetypal image of the fire, the truth being set, sent through the fire mm-hmm. to purify it. Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll come out the other side of this with a more, more pure understanding of what is true and what is good. I think so. Yeah. That's, I, I've told, I am so in that camp. Hmm. I think that is. And that's refreshing to hear. Yeah, it really is. I think, you know, the more that we, there's a certain amount that's healthy, you know, to like, as the court jester needs to bring the king down. Hmm. But then there's a part, part where that becomes, it goes from health to absurdity. And, um, Golly, I really want to talk about impeachment, but that's just so loaded for both Democrats and Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> but that's but I'm gonna just I'm just gonna make one point. And yeah, jump, try to and make then a point. Jump, <laughs> jump back out. <laughs> jump back out. <laughs> but part of me is just sort of like, get over it. Hmm. I mean, we're spending all this time. It's like there's so many other things that we need to be working on. But I feel like there's just I mean again. Just for common sake, I'm not like endorsing yeah. Trump here, but it's just sort of there's well, the whole thing did really feel like that. On. Yeah. Well, the whole thing felt like so. I feel and like the president I, doesn't have that much power. Right. It has power. Legislature, you have a lot of power, and then our judicial has a lot of power. It works together. Well, <laughs> yeah. The system works pretty well. It does surprisingly work well. so. Yeah. I did feel that way to me. Like I feel like if I think about the impeachment thing as a Republican, my thought is, man, Democrats. You're wasting your shot at getting Trump out of the office right now. So, mm-hmm. okay, take your time. Mm-hmm. And if I think of myself as a Democrat, I'm like, I guess it makes sense that somehow on principle you want to make the stand, but also can't you focus on trying to get him out of office legitimately? Mm-hmm. Like, it, we're almost to the election. Why are we wasting our time on this? Yeah. So I don't, it this doesn't compute, it never computed to me, especially when it ended up that there never was a crime actually charged mm-hmm. uh, or accused. 
Yeah, I'm feeling very self-conscious about talking about <laughs> impeachment. <laughs> well, I think because you and I both know, like, we're not, you know... Yeah. We, we, we're, yeah, that's, I think... Well, like, yeah, I don't take a side. Yeah. And so, it's hard to talk about. <laughs> also, as much as I, like, listen to news and podcasts and mm-hmm. all that, I, I don't feel very well-spoken about it. Yeah. Um, but the whole thing did feel like a waste of time to me mm-hmm. at the end of the day. It just felt like a waste of time. It's like... Well, if anything, it seemed it, the outcome seems like it's going to make Trump's case for reelection stronger. Yeah, and it felt like that. It felt like that kind of from the beginning, mm-hmm. which I'm not like super happy about. Well, I think I mean I, I think the Democrats are doing that. They, I, I don't understand it. it. It just doesn't make sense from like a like if I was going to make a strategy for the Democrats, it's like I'm going to go after this guy who I keep throwing mud at, but nothing's sticking. And he just gets right back up. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going to go try to impeach him. It's like, I, I, it's like almost like they're stupid to his level or, or they would, or, or so a Democrat would see, or mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like, <clears throat> it's like, I, I could just, I, again, we need someone casting vision for the United States. Like mm-hmm. what do we, we want to do? Where are we going? I don't, I don't really feel like I'm hearing that from either side right now. Like, where are That's we going? True. What are we doing? What do we want to see? Like, there's just not a lot of, there's not a lot of voices. It's more of like everyone's saying how bad things are or, who, I know. or who's evil or who's. That has to turn around. Mm-hmm. I, like, we are somehow not talking about the fact that we are living in the most prosperous, most tolerant country in the world in all of time. Up to this present moment. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, No one has had it better Mm -hmm. than everyone in this country right now. Mm -hmm. And clearly there are exceptions to that rule. Yes. Right. But we have, we can take advantage of the situation to make things so much better. But if we keep talking about only how bad it is, mm-hmm. well, maybe we can like, man, this is a great point you made of like cast the vision. Yeah. It's like we're like way too bogged down uh-huh. in some nut and bolt somewhere mm-hmm. where it's like, yes, that's important. But also where are we going? Yeah. What are we doing? Are we on a solid ship that's worthy of working on? Mm-hmm. You know, and if the answer is, and I hear a lot of people saying, at least insinuating the answer is no, and that concerns me. Because mm-hmm. like, if it's not, then what alternative is there? Like, yeah. There's not another alternative. No. Nothing has been even close to as good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, I mean, that's... So maybe that's kind of interesting. Like, like, what do you want? Like, what would you, like, as a, as a, as a U.S. citizen mm-hmm. um, living in Texas... Yeah. You know, what is it, what is that you want from your government or what kind of vision would really capture you? I don't know if this answers the question, but the first thing that came to my mind is that, you know, everything that I'm hearing is things are terrible. Mm -hmm. Our country is full of racist bigots. Mm -hmm. Our system is oppressive. Um, Our country is divided. We're living in one of the most divisive times of all time. And then I go walk around mm-hmm. and I experience, n- it's like nothing like that at all. Yeah. 
I experience people who never have ideological or political conversations mm -hmm. in day-to-day -day life. They are, people are kind, people are helpful, people are loving. Like, how can we mine that? How can we mm. somehow <clears throat> get away from the narrative that somehow we're telling each ourselves and actually look at what's going on? Yeah. Like what's going on when you go about your day-to-day -day life? I, I mean, it sounds like almost like the narrative that we're being fed is just, is, is, has some truth in it, but it's not the general truth of what is really happening in the United States. Well, maybe that's what we're really struggling with it as, as a culture right now is the difference between general truth and a truth that goes against that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, even our terms are kind of funky to me, but, but I, I know, I know what we're trying to get at here, but I, I'm trying to, I don't know a better way to say it. Yeah, I mean, I guess to bring it to try to stay on like the vision casting idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think if I think I'd like to hear people talk more about how absolutely wonderful things are and mm -hmm. It may not be the same for everybody, but the fact that things are better than they've ever been means that we have more power to change it for the people that aren't experiencing the most of it than we've ever had. Mm -hmm. So let's work on that. Yeah. But the, the, I think the thing that's bothering me about the left is like they've got, they have a piece of that where they're like, we need to work on the dispossessed. We need to, you know, bring those it's like they have that part of it, mm -hmm. but their solution to do it is to tear the entire system that brought us here down in the first place. And that mm -hmm. just seems really, just seems unwise. Like, I don't know, once you tear the system down, you, you now have no power to do anything mm -hmm. because now you're completely involved and in, engrossed in trying to create a new system and mm -hmm. you can't help the dispossessed people when you're creating a new system. Yeah. Like yeah. you, you need the system in order to, for the stability to help people. Yeah, you need infrastructure in order. So it's, it's like, how can you utilize the infrastructure that we have to build that new and better world? Yeah. Um, I think that's... That just, that just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me as, as far as... And again, it's like being able to allow the tension too. And uh, that's the part I'm, I keep thinking of... Uh, you know, how can allowing our political system to work, you know, whether you're talking about like Roe vs. Roe vs. Wade, the abortion thing, you know, it's, it's, you know, if you want that overturned and, you know, it's like to be able to do that civilly to present the arguments, or if you want that to continue, then you, you, you make that, those civil arguments. It's like our system is set up. It's like, I don't, I feel like if, if you lose, then the other side is evil or mm. bad. I, I heard somebody say that democracy is predicated on the idea that the loser accepts the loss. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Because if the loser in a democratic, democratic system, if, if the loser doesn't accept the loss, then it's no longer a democracy. Because it requires the consent of everybody. Mm -hmm. 
So if you're on the, the side that doesn't win that time, you have to accept it mm-hmm. for the democracy to continue. Yeah. And not that you can't change it. You just make a better argument and move forward. And Next time. Next time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is why we have terms, term limits on these things. Yeah. Most of them, at least. Well, I wonder if anything's changed in our, in our psyche as a people, because it seemed. Yeah, definitely. And I, 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 it has to do with, has to have to do with the internet. Mm -hmm. It's, I think it has changed our psyche because we have the ability to find whatever narrative we want. Mm -hmm. So it's like echo chambers kind of thing. We we get stuck in our echo chamber. I've never liked the echo chamber idea. I mean, I think it's real. Mm -hmm. I think it's mostly concerning when it comes to the algorithms that surface content to you Mm -hmm. become echo chambers. Um, that's, that's mostly concerning to me, but I I just think you have the ability to find almost anything that you want to find. Mm -hmm. I mean, we live in a world that's incredibly diverse Mm -hmm. despite what sort of like the common narrative might say. Mm -hmm diverse enough down to the level of the individual that we can find somebody with almost any point of view. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think it used to be that way. Yeah. So yeah, I think our psyches have changed. Well, maybe it's the same thing. We're just, we're just very young right now and, and not mature. Mm -hmm. And so maybe we, maybe we can, I mean, hopefully there's not like a, a, you know, when you're a teenager and you commit a crime and you end up going to jail or something like that, you're like, well, hopefully it's not like, it's not going to hurt you later on in life. You Mm -hmm. know, uh, that's why, you know, when you're 18, was it, it's expunged or something like that, or you, Mm -hmm. uh, whatever, something happens when you're 18, you can't really, your criminal record doesn't start till after you're 18. Right. Uh, although with Twitter and stuff like that, it's like (laughs) your criminal record (laughs) on Twitter is there. As long as as words are violent. Uh But there should be like there should be some like forgiveness for this period of time. <laughs> I just got super self conscious. I'm like with the Twitter thing, and then I'm realizing we're on a podcast right now, <laughs> and we're on like episode 18. Yeah. <laughs> what have we said oh, that's yeah. sticking around that might convict us in the future if suddenly the winds change on what's okay? Well, that's the thing is like. Like I'm okay with that for the most part. I mean, I think there's certain subjects I haven't thought through enough that I'd want to speak on the podcast about. Such as? Uh, <laughs> good one. Uh, but uh, No, give it to us, because I, I feel the same way. We don't have to broach the subjects right now, but broach? Breach? Broach is something you wear. <laughs> Let's breach them. Um, man, you let me lost my train of thought. No, I didn't. You just don't want to tell me. <laughs> True. Um, no, because I think mostly I think of things in a very nuanced way and I don't really hold my opinions strongly. And I feel like I, I have a very deeply distinction between my political and my personal values. So like I want to live in a world where... Uh, you can act as an individual mm. as long as it doesn't infringe on other people's rights. I'm, that, so, I'm kind of almost libertarian in that way. It's maybe like, that's something that we have lost is the idea that your personal values don't have to be reflected in your political values. Mm-hmm. 
Is that what you were saying? I think so. I don't want there's a real problematic area in that. Cause like, but I want, but, um, but, I, uh, but yes, like, you know, um, you know, whether you believe, you know, the, the conversation is, the, the, the narrative is framed pro-choice or pro-life, which is really interesting in my perspective, but just why those two conversations are phrased in those two ways, because they're basically not really arguing against each other in that sense. They're not, they're not talking about the same thing at all. They're not talking about the same thing at all. And I think that's, that's, that's the weird thing about it, but it's so decisive, divisive, you know? Well, I think it's designed that way. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's like you're, you're making two, oh, there's such a great word for this, but I don't even know it. Uh, <laughs> there's two, they're making two points that are both equally valid. And, uh, see, I can't even do it, but I'm willing to, as like, as a political entity in this country to be able to like, okay, We've decided that politically, but that doesn't mean me as an individual, I need to do that. You know, like I can still not do whatever that is. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I think there's something important in that. It's like, I don't need my personal set of values to be reflected in our political system. Yeah. Rephrase that. I don't think I should have to need that because Mm -hmm. I don't think it's possible for each of the 330 million people in the United States to have their personal value system reflected in the government. Yeah. It's just, just not possible. So mm-hmm. if we try to achieve that, then we're, we're screwed from the outset. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't, I think maybe you said this to me recently, but like government should not be looked at as something that gives us our rights, but something that protects yeah. our rights. And, mm-hmm. and that is the, that's sort of what's encoded in the all men are created. Mm-hmm equal. Mm -hmm. It's like we have inalienable rights. The government's there to protect them. Mm -hmm. Government didn't give it to, give it to us. Yeah. It's there to protect it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like maybe part of the problem that we're having in politics right now is we're trying to look for our own value systems in, in, and try to make them be in the government system. Mm -hmm. And that's screwing up the purpose of or the, or the the function of what go- government was set up to be in this country, and it yeah. has it's structurally set up to be something mm-hmm. different than that. Well, that's one argument why the French Revolution failed versus the the uh, U.S. Revolution is like we we said that the rights are are inalienable to the individual. Mm-hmm. Where in the French Revolution, again, I could be wrong in this, but this my understanding is that the 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 government gives the rights to the individual, which are two different things. Hands, it doles them out, mm-hmm. hands them out. Yeah. Hands them out. Which so, means you can lose them. Which, yeah, exactly. Cause it's owned by the government where mm-hmm. in the U S the rights inherit in the individual. And even though it might be seem semantic, it's actually a really big deal. Because it is a big deal. And the I government wonder- there is to serve the people, not the, the people to serve the government. It's almost like Jesus talks about the Sabbath, you know, it's like the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Yeah. That same kind of idea of, well, so how much is that changing just by nature of the fact that so much of our public conversation now Mm -hmm. is happening, not in public squares, but in spaces where that is inverted. Interesting. So, well, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you have no right to be there. 
they can turn you off at any time for any reason. That's interesting. And they, and they don't even have to justify it. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. so you don't have rights Mm -hmm. on those platforms. You are given rights Mm -hmm. that you can hold as long as they allow you to hold them. Yeah. But that's an inversion of the agreement that we have with our former public spaces that mm-hmm. were more moderated by our government. Jeez. Well, not even moderated, yeah. but it's like the public, anything that's public space was government space. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Where the individual holds the, is, has the, has uh, the sovereignty, has sovereignty mm-hmm. and we don't have sovereignty mm-hmm. in these social media spaces, which is interesting. So that whole argument with, you know, is, are these platforms, are they platforms or are they publishers? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. There's a whole, history there that I can't mm-hmm. tell very well, but the, the fact that they were deemed platforms and not publishers mm-hmm. has like major ramifications on the way that mm-hmm. they're running their businesses. Exactly. And so there's a little bit there where, you know, as a platform, do they, they function more as public spaces. So do they fall under different rules? Mm-hmm. Whereas a publisher, they're responsible for that content. Yeah, well, we had a lot of rules, historical rules Mm -hmm. on how to deal with publishers. Mm -hmm. We had no historical rules on how to deal with platforms. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, you know, again, the the thing that everyone's having a hard time with is sometimes those platforms are claiming publisher rights, and then sometimes they're claiming platform. They're trying to play both sides of it. Both sides of it. The best of both worlds. Exactly. (laughs) And so it's really confusing, and it's it's hard because, like, you know, again, I'm... I guess I'm kind of fairly libertarian when it comes to business in some sense is, and not in other senses, cause I, I do agree with a certain amount of regulation, but uh, I also don't, uh, it really scares me to think of the government coming in and, and saying, you know, interfering in that too much. You here's, know? How to, here's how you have to run mm-hmm. your business. But if they, they define like publisher platform business, and so each one of those had different criteria, then they would know how to function within, okay, we're, we are this. We're, I'm functioning <clears throat> as an LLC or as a corporation or as a, uh, an incorporated or whatever, you know? Right. Um, but that, that, that gets a really complicated really quickly. I'm not really so versed in that. But, but coming back to the div, um, you know, casting, casting vision and you know, these, these platforms that I think people, there's very few people that are really casting visions. And, and that's like, you see people like a Jocko, you know, the Navy SEAL willing, guy. willing. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's in there. It's like this extreme responsibility thing. You know, it's like, there's something inspiring about that. It's like, mm. I might not agree with him all the way there. I'm like, well, he'll, you know, tone it down a little bit, you know, <laughs> but he's like, but at the same time it's inspiring or like an Elon Musk, you yeah. know, uh, like, you know, I'm like, man, there's something inspiring. It makes me want to like, okay, what do I have? What can I do with what I have? You know? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> or even like a, a, a Jordan Peterson, you know, just, uh, uh, who has just come on the scene and just has, is so eloquently spoken, you know, and, uh, Brett Weinstein, Eric Weinstein, you know, all these Sam Harris, I mean, all these guys that have really kind of come up and, you know, they're trying to lay out a format of what, like, how do we move forward from here? And, you know, trying to sparse through a lot of the yeah. chaos that is out there. 
I think one of the things that really inspires me about that group of people. Um, so what was that book? The Douglas Murray book, The Madness of Crowds. Oh, wow. When he yeah. talks about that, um, I think it was a British war device. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like a, essentially a rocket that had this super long cable tail <laughs> on it that yeah. was full of explosives. And they would shoot it over a minefield and it would mm. like lay itself out and then all these explosives would detonate yeah. and basically clear a path through the minefield. Mm-hmm. And Douglas Murray said, I'm, you know, I'm basically hoping that this book, because this book will be that mm-hmm. for the public discourse. I'm yeah. hoping to clear a path through some of these subjects, mm-hmm. not to deal with them totally, but to give us space to talk about them. Yeah. Um, and it was super bold because he mm-hmm. talks about gender, he talks about race, mm-hmm. he talks about feminism, he talks about trans issues. Um, but I think those people that you mentioned, the sort of the intellectual dark web people, um, are willing to come forward and struggle through difficult topics Mm -hmm. in ways that could really damage them personally. And I think it has happened to a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Um, but are just like, you know, it's too important to talk about. Let's let, we need to have this conversation and I'm willing to sort of like explode a path through this. Mm -hmm. And that's really, really inspiring to me. Well, I think one thing that's, that's common to all of them is, um, and some more and less, you know, not to, not to put them all, generalize them all, but, and who all is, you know, (laughs) but like they're, they're looking at it from very, all sorts of different perspectives, you know? And, and a lot of times whenever there are speaking with somebody, they'll say like, okay, you're looking at it from this perspective, but we need to kind of open up and look at it from a lot of different ways. Like, like, can you identify with your conservative brother and sister? Hmm. Can you identify with your liberal brother and sister? You know, um, you know, I might disagree with this or I might disagree with that, but can you, I think the best thing that uh, one thing I really love is still making the other person's argument. Can you give the best argument or even a better argument than that you might be receiving to defend their position? Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that is missing where, you know, the straw man is huge right now. It's like, I'm going to go after the weakest part of your argument and, and make that the whole thing, make that the whole thing. Yeah. It's like, you know, so if you said like, Oh, you know, I like Trump. Okay, everybody, I'm making this as an example. But this would be yeah, super you'd interesting. Be like, you'd be like, like, oh, then you fit into all these categories. Yeah. What, what, if, what if the whole impeachment process required that, you know, once it got to the Senate, mm-hmm. that every senator who got up had to steal man oh, the other wow. side? That would be so badass. So, so every that. Democrat had to give the best argument for why Trump was innocent, and every Republican had to give the best argument for why he was guilty. Yes, and so the, Democrat, the Democrats would have to agree with the Republicans, uh, at, like his summation of their viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Like the, the Democratic Party would have to say, that's here, my here. viewpoint. Yeah, right. <laughs> and the Republicans would you have to right. say, like, to the Democrat, here, here, right. you, you got it right. I think that would be amazing. What would the outcome be? Like, We're at the end of the day? <laughs> let's, let's put a referendum on the ballot or something like that. I love that. At the end of the day, everybody's just like, you know, I think we're good here. I think uh, we all <laughs> agree. That's so good. I would love that. Because that's the thing. It's like, if you can state the other person's side in a way that they would agree with, mm-hmm. and you're not making any cheap shots mm-hmm. or twisting anything, 
then you understand their point of view. Yeah. Oh God, that would be so amazing. And it's such an important place to start. Yeah. <laughs> Why does that seem so logical? Like, what, what are we doing? <laughs> well, did you listen to uh, the Joe Rogan conversation with Andrew Doyle? Maybe. I don't know. Mm, he's the, Andrew Doyle has the online alter ego of Titania and the graph. Oh, let's not go there. That's hilarious. Well, I just want to make a point that Andrew <laughs> made, which he said he used to teach critical thinking. Um, and he was like, I, I don't know of any universities that teach critical thinking anymore. Oh. And he talked about this exact thing. He talked yeah. about, you know, if, if you are in an argument with somebody, the second you take a cheap shot, you've lost. You've mm-hmm. lost the argument. Mm-hmm. You straw man somebody else, you've lost the argument. Yeah. You've lost the debate. Mm-hmm. So, Critical, he taught his students in critical thinking, like you need to figure out how to steel man the other side. It's mm-hmm. the only way to actually win an argument. Yeah. And he was just like, I don't see it being taught. Like I don't see it on curriculums anymore. Interesting. And that's a shame. It is a shame. Do you run to the kitchen real quick? Probably. Right. How far in are we? I don't know. <clears throat> oh, we're only an hour. We got ready. We're so ready. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. <laughs> I just decided. I'm so stoked on this. uh, I just decided we're going to call this episode, Oh Shit, We Talked About Politics. (laughs) I love it. I think that's a perfect, perfect uh, (laughs) uh, uh, distinct, or what we should call this for sure. I'm going to take it. All right. All right. I don't know if we're going to keep this on to. On the podcast or not, but. uh, Anyways, we are not, Matt and I love talking about all subjects and from all points of view. Um, I think that's one thing it would be, it'd be so much fun to be able to have more of a, a dialogue with everyone uh, because I know everyone kind of comes from different perspectives, whether you're a liberal or a conservative or um, a libertarian or somewhere in between all those things, or maybe a mixture of both. Uh, uh, I think Matt and I kind of come from a more of a mixture of both or all and end. Um, but mostly just interested in the, the arguments and the, to discuss things in a way that is, you know, civil and also looking at it from different perspectives and kind of staying away from, uh, sort of the hyperbole or, or cheap shots. Uh, I think that's one thing that when I see this sheet, I, and I'm also guilty of the cheap shots too. But once I do it, I'm like, oh no, that was lame. <laughs> and I, I don't mind being called out on my cheap shots and, and lameness in that area. So, uh, which I hope people would call me out if I do a cheap shot towards a certain perspective. Um, I think that's definitely worth, I think that's, I think that's the best co- sort of call out culture. You know, if you take a cheap shot, that's not like, that's a, that's a straw man. Like that's a call out, hmm. you know, I, I think that's something that should be like, no, you didn't, you didn't present that really well. Right. That was actually a cheap shot. You just called all Trump supporters, white nationalist <laughs> yeah. or dumb. Yeah. I think it was lemon or yeah. Don lemon that called like all Trump supporters, dumb or stupid or something like that. Uh, he had to apologize, you know? Uh, I mean, Trump has a lot of uh, interesting. God, you can't even you can't even tackle off his uh, all his things he said. <laughs> it's like 
throw a well, little you bleep. can see that in the political advertisements. And then there's some of this stuff going on right now on social media where it's like, you know, Facebook's under a lot of fire for allowing essentially false advertising in political ads. Oh, interesting. On their platform. Mm -hmm. And there's like this weird balance between, it's like, we have to allow people to say whatever they want to say, mm -hmm. but we also need to teach and grow and engender a sense of respect for what good productive, honest argument looks like. Yeah. <clears throat> so that when you call somebody out and saying, you're straw manning me, they are like, yeah, I don't want to do that. That's not a healthy path forward. Yeah. Yeah. And that seems like that'd be the logical thing. Cause if you don't say that, I mean, what are you saying? <laughs> yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a difficult position to, to not argue from. <laughs> oh man. So I think coming back to, I don't know. I'm just blown away by the idea of, you know, each side having to mm -hmm. like still man the other's position. Well, it reminds me that I feel like at the first, on the first episode of this year, we talked about trying to find something we disagreed on. Mm-hmm. And then having a debate on the podcast. Oh yeah, and I think we forgot about it. Maybe we should we should do that and then have to steel man each other. <laughs> well, I think we we tried to look at things from so many. Or again, I, 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 or, I, that sounds so self righteous. But like I'm willing to look at whatever you say from your perspective for the most part. Mm -hmm. I'm, I can't think of something that you would say or you would argue a position that I would be like, I, that I would not even want to consider. And so I, I think anything I disagree necessarily on, because I feel like you do the same. And so we hold things fairly lightly. So I'm not sure. I would say you probably are more passionate about certain things than I would be. But, but I actually say that in a positive way. Hmm. <laughs> like I'm probably more ambivalent to. Um, when you say passionate, do you mean that I'm generally more willing to come out and say something very directly? Yes. Then maybe that's, yeah, maybe that's what it is. Yeah. But, but I think that's the thing I appreciate that is like, you're able, you, you will say something more directly and passionately but if a argument is made that challenges that you're willing to, then, you know, that's not, you know, ridiculous or cheap shot, you know? I, I think I often worry that I'm, I'm so direct that people aren't willing to make an argument back to challenge it. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I really want people to challenge me. Mm -hmm. And I get sad sometimes when I make a really strong direct statement and people mm. just shut Cower. up. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like that about myself. Yeah. Well, I think that's why you and I get along because I really like that mm. because I, I don't make very many direct statements. And so when I hear a direct statement, I can encounter something more directly. And that is, that's helpful for me because I'm, I'm thinking about, 
10 different ways that you could see that right <laughs> that thing and i'm like you know, i'm, I'm weighing like, oh all yeah okay things. let's deal with that way of seeing it mm-hmm. yeah exactly so like i'm like okay i agree with 20 percent of that 40 percent of that 60 percent of that 80 percent of that there you go yeah that but that's not well and then i'll say well here's one at a hundred percent yeah uh-huh. and i think a lot of people are like Oh, you're being prescriptive. Like that's the only way that you can think of it as. Uh-huh. And so they just don't challenge. Mm-hmm. Whereas for me, it's more of an experiment. Mm-hmm. Like this is the way it is. Yeah. Let's figure out why that's wrong. Like, <laughs> let's figure out uh, a, how to dismantle that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Whereas like, I think we come at things oppositely. Like you, you bring all these different percentages of things and you're like, how can we bring these together into a hundred percent where I'm just like, here's a hundred percent. How do we dismantle it into all these pieces? <laughs> The one in the mini. Oh, this yeah. is an Enneagram thing for sure, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> it's also like a very left, right brain thing. Mm-hmm. Like I, I tend to be very left brained mm-hmm. in that. Like yeah. I've defined it. Here it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. And then I'm at, and then I want to like put it on the table and be like, let's find the context and figure out why that was too narrow winded. And mm-hmm. which is, which is great. Cause I feel like you need those different, ways of approaching a subject you know if everybody was like me then i don't know it it would we would just get lost in the particulars of all the different views Mm -hmm. because you kind of need somebody i think as a ceo like that's something i've had to grow in so much more is being definitive okay we're going this way Mm -hmm. and that's hard for me to say because i can think of I'm 60% sure, 40% sure, 30% sure. So what makes me 60% on this one? You know, then I'm questioning <laughs> like, like, well, there's good aspects over here and over here. But I think that's the part now is being able to like, given the moment right now, right here, we need to go with 60% because that's the best percentage, you know? And yeah. And you move forward with that in a hundred percent mode or you give it an extra 20 push it to 80, <laughs> you know, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. I still haven't figured out what we, I, don't, I just don't know if we can really, I, I just more, I like, I like when you say things definitively, mm. that's very helpful. And yeah, I appreciate that. But everyone brings something different to the table. Maybe yeah. there's something else that we're not, we don't allow people to bring different things to the table. Mm. Like if you react to somebody who's more definitive, it's like, well, what, why do you react to somebody who maybe comes at it a hundred percent wise? Like I would say like Shapiro is a hundred percent guy. Well, no, 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 no. No. Trump is a hundred percent guy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe I can look at this, try to approach this another way. I was thinking today about this. It, It is, so difficult to get people to tell you what they think. Oh yeah. Like what they truly think. Yeah. I think it's difficult to know what you think Mm -hmm. as yourself. I mean, that's difficult enough, but there are so many times when you know what you think and you don't say it. Mm. And I know times when, I've asked people what they think about something and I know they know what they think, but they're not going to say it. I mean, saying what you think about something is just riddled with risk in so many different ways. It's so hard. And I want to be better at telling 
myself what I think, telling people what I think. Mm-hmm. And I want to figure out as I grow how to make people feel safe to tell me what they think. Because mm. to your point, it's like we need all the ways that people think about things. We need mm. the ways people see things, the directions that they come at problems from. Yeah. We need that, that wealth of different perspectives. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to it's hard to elicit them. Yeah. And you have to have a malleable structure for that. That allows for it? That allows for it. I think that's again, that's one thing that distinguishes the US from other is that individual the rights are in the individual, not in the government. Right. And the right of free speech is with the individual, not the government's not giving that right to the individual mm-hmm. so they can define what free speech is. It's like, so I think that's why over the years we've, we've kept from defining that too strictly in that you cannot incite violence. Okay. I think that's a, that's a pretty good restriction, you know, mm-hmm. like you can't tell everyone to go after some person, you know, that's, that's, that's infringing on somebody else. Yeah. Um, but expressing a viewpoint you know, that is not, we have to allow that. Even if it, it, there's a part where it encroaches in that area. And that's, that's, I think we have the courts to decide, like, is that inciting violence? Is there a motive? And, and we need to take that and allow our courts to do that kind of stuff. Well, and understanding where one thing switches to another, where mm-hmm. expressing an opinion turns to inciting violence. Mm-hmm. That's a really complicated, nuanced thing. And we have a massive one third section of our government devoted to that. We send people to years and years of school and study to figure out how to go through that process. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things we're struggling with as a culture right now is that we think we know the answers to those things mm. by reading a tweet. Yeah. We think we know the answers to those things by seeing a Facebook post. Mm-hmm. And even before we had, what was I going with that? Even before we had um, all of this access to information, well, maybe this is proving my point in the other direction. (laughs) I don't know. I just, I feel like our court system amazes me. Mm -hmm. And it's not perfect. Yeah. But I don't know how we do any better. I think that's the part that's that's difficult and it's it's something that we have to accept. And not that we can't improve, so that's different, but we have to accept the infallibility, the no the fallibility mm-hmm. of our system. Like that is just that's just true. Now now can we make this can we make these systems more efficient and better? Yes, but there's a certain part that we have to accept the fallibility. I mean, even whether you're talking about your friends, whether you're talking about your spouse, mm-hmm. your kids, it's like there's a there's a certain amount of fallibility that you have to accept, or else you're going to go insane. Well, and that's like, an interesting point. Is I mean, I mean, the whole system of the whole court system exists to find the truth in something, in a case. Something has happened. We don't know what. Yeah. We don't know what the truth is. We're going to find it. Mm-hmm. It's always been interesting to me or blown my mind that within that system, there are rules such as there are instances where we don't allow evidence. 
Mm. There's evidence which exists, but we're not going to allow it. Yeah. For reasons, and I, I wish I could give a great example of this, but I, it's like there are times when evidence is thrown out, mm-hmm. and that blows my mind. It's like the evidence is there. How could you not take it yeah. to be? Well, I think the only reason could be for that, that in the path to finding the truth, there are methods of coming across information which is valid, Mm -hmm. which blinds you to its utility in your stated purpose. Hmm. So it is better to say you are not allowed to consider that. Because that, the methods by which we learn that information taint its use towards finding the truth. Yeah, like a wiretap that was not legally procured, you know, if it was if it was submitted as evidence, even though it it illuminates the truth, it would only encourage wire illegal wiretaps hmm. more. So so you wouldn't you would never include that or hmm. I mean there uh, there's other instances, but that's the one that that's the one that kind of comes to my mind because that actually encouraged criminal behavior, <laughs> even though it is, it enlightens the truth, but long-term it's not effective or hmm. helpful. <clears throat> yeah. True. Well, it just, it just makes me think like the, the, the process of truth finding is mm-hmm. messy and difficult. Mm-hmm. It isn't as if the truth is just simply lying there to be discovered. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like even on the daily when you sent me that podcast uh, uh, where the uh, Weinstein lawyer was on there. The woman uh, oh. defending Harvey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Harvey Weinstein. And man, that is such a hot topic. Mm-hmm. And Not hot as in popular, but hot as in like, yeah, we'll burn you to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a very interesting conversation. And it was, it was the, the reporter was the reporter that released this information with another reporter. She uncovered the she original, uncovered story, the original yeah, story and then wrote a book about it. Mm-hmm. And so I, it was even fascinating, even there's a little contention in the interview. I was actually impressed on how, how well it was carried out. Hmm. I mean, it was fairly civil, even though you realize that they both genuinely disagree with each other. I mean, it really felt like it could have erupted into yeah. an all out fight yeah. at any, any moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they kept it civil and talked about like the reporter allowed the lawyer to express her views mm-hmm. and why and didn't, and she didn't straw man, which I was really impressed with. And also the lawyer didn't straw man her. Like even whenever, I mean, there's a point where the lawyer made a comment and she realized she kind of overstepped. She's like, Oh no, no, no. I'm sorry. I, hmm. I over, I overspoke that. Hmm. And I was just like, what's going on here? <laughs> because this is such a contentious. It was a really area. good conversation. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would, I have been thinking, actually, I wanted to listen to it again. Hey, too, yeah. I was shocked that the lawyer came on to the mm-hmm. New York times podcast and had that yeah. conversation. Also. And also really thankful for it mm-hmm. because it reminded me that we do have an established well thought out mm-hmm. process for finding the truth and convicting citizens of crimes. Mm-hmm. And part of that process necessitates that the accused be represented. And this woman was like, I will take that job. 
mm-hmm. because I believe in this system and I believe in who we are as a people and as a country and our ability to engage the truth finding process responsibly. Yeah. And that, I mean, it was hard to listen to mm-hmm. because the whole narrative is steeped in so oh, much. Gosh, so much, yeah. But I was just like, oh, yeah. At the end of the day, we have a process where there are people mm-hmm. that believe in the utility of it. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. I'm glad. And, I mean, I want, a, I want to live in a world where even the most egregious of sinners mm-hmm. who they get to be represented. Yeah. Their case be defended. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And someone's going to advocate for them. You know, I think that's... Well, to the lawyer's point, it was like, there's two sides to every story. Mm-hmm. Guilty or innocent, both sides should be told. Yeah. That's how we find the truth. Mm-hmm. And she's there to tell that side. Yeah. Man. Just it's it's all so complicated, and I, th- I think that's what I think I really love about the United States and its systems, even though it's not perfect. And I think that's it's just so you have to say that every single time, which kind of sucks, but the, because we have to stay in that tension between the two, you know, you have to have the defendant and the plaintiff. Mm-hmm. And they have to stand on equal ground and present their case to a jury. It's like you can't come into a jury or a, to a judge where the plaintiff has more footing than the defendant. You know, it's like you, you, they have to come into the courtroom on equal footing. And, and it's a paradox because even though you might know that this person is completely evil your inner being or whatever, you know, hmm. however you want to phrase that stuff. Um, we just, we, we need systems that are not, you know, are blind to <clears throat> opinions and only what is presented to the, right. uh, to the jury or to the judge, you know, hmm. I don't know. It's, it's, I, I'm still, I'm still caught on that. I keep coming back to this like vision casting and I feel like the I feel like there's been such so much vision cast for us already that as far as you know again I'm, I'm using the United States specifically right now but even all the way back to um, you know your Roman and Greek and uh, uh, just the progression of history uh, we we're able to learn from so much of our past, but I'm, 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 I think I'm so, so even though I'm, I'm, I'm thinking more historically longer term wise and even further back than that, I'm going to kind of just deal with the United States in general. You know, when we talked about all men are created equal and even though at that time it was only white men and um, not only that, but upholding property and some other things, it's like that vision was casted where that up, up to this day, it, it includes all mankind or humankind or people kind or whatever you want well, to say. That's the difficult. That's the really mm-hmm. difficult thing to talk about. Mm-hmm. Is that the concept that was imbued then, which is true now, is yeah. that that applies to all people. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm not sure how to argue that in the historical context that mm-hmm. there were somehow limitations on that then. Yeah. But it, I, and I don't know that there actually were in mm-hmm. concept. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I, think I don't like, understand history well enough. Well, in, that, in, that, in that place, there was a lot of people that believed a lot of different things, that believed everything from, you know, there should not be slaves to all people are created equal. There was d- lots the, of disagreements. Yeah. I mean, could it be that the way the country was established was, this is the way it should be? Mm-hmm. We're setting up a, a structure for the way it should be. Yeah. It's not that way. Mm-hmm. But it should be this way. Yeah. I mean, that has to be possible, right? Like, mm-hmm. it was idealistic. It wasn't like, this is a reflection of the way things are now. It, they weren't just writing down a reflection of the way things were. Yeah. They were saying, this is the way society should be. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to make society this way, then we've got to set up a structure that supports it being that way. Mm-hmm. And then we struggled through a bunch of years in a civil war trying to make it that way. Yeah. And I think that's something that we've also learned is you cannot coerce people to believe or to act a certain way. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that's one reason why they had that separation of church and state, of state and federal. You know, there's, there's all these step, separations and also as the individual, as the, as the, as the reigning, um, uh, uh, shoot, as the determining factor <laughs> yeah that's right thing. uh because you know you start again i think that's where if you start turning everything over to the government and there's no personal accountability then you kind of run into a hole because the government has to and if, if the government takes control over it like taxes everybody has to pay taxes if you don't pay taxes you go to jail. Now, obviously there's going to be arguments on some of the particulars of that, but generally speaking, that is true, you know? Um, you know, so how much do you kind of allow to, uh, actually I can't do this right now because I'm not, there's too many factors that I can't, um, I can't get into cause I, cause I, I don't want to sound too far one way than the other because there's there's certain aspects that the government needs to come in and in certain amount of regulation, but we need to do that very very carefully. Yeah. Because the individual needs to feel the responsibility of their actions, and if you take away that responsibility, and there's consequences to that too, and so there's a tension there that I'm, I don't I don't have. It's not an easy. It's not an easy thing to navigate, and I don't know where that goes. But so back to vision casting. It's like, how do you? Is that my stomach or yours? No, it's mine. <laughs> I was like, I keep. I'm still feel like my cheeseburger <laughs> sitting in my stomach right there. So I don't know. I, I just I want. I, honestly, the, the the most the best thing I've ever heard, or the best thing I've heard so far, is your. Conversate your your idea about Democrats and Republicans stating each other's case, still manning each other. Still, yeah. like I think that would just solve so many, so many things. It would be awesome to like the presidential to debate. hear like a president, yeah, yeah, presidential debate that starts that way. And if they and if they straw man, the person goes, eh. <laughs> try again. Yeah, 
Do you agree with that? Or it's, let's just say it's right. Biden. Or no, it's probably like Bernie. Bernie. Know, Bernie and Trump. You know, it's yeah. like, it's like nope, Bernie. The Trump. Do you agree with what Bernie? Yeah. Cl- you know, right. <laughs> that would be so much more productive for uh-huh. the American people. Yeah. Or just have them both go on the Joe Rogan podcast. There you go. <laughs> you know, I mean, Bernie's been on there. Yeah, yeah. It, it might it's be possible. Good, yeah. yeah. I feel like I'm shocked that we went here with this conversation. Oh, yeah, totally. This is way out of our... I know. And I'm loving it. <laughs> and I'm also like f- finding myself in a place where I'm like exhausted. <laughs> Well, it's a lot. It's I think because we both want to present both sides or present this in a well-rounded way, right? And it's very we're both very sensitive to that idea of we're wanting to engage our listeners and we're not wanting to polarize. Yet at the same time, we want to breach these subjects that allows us to think. And to work through these ideas. And, and I think I'm hoping as you and I do this more, we can, we can learn how to do that in a way that's productive and, and it's helpful to our listeners to continue in this conversation because I think we've seen the value of that. We think about, we, we, we try to challenge it from different perspectives, you know? Yeah. Um, even the ones we don't get, you know, like, I think you would tell like how, how would that person see that, you know? And so we try to figure out, like put ourselves in that person's point of view and, and work through the problem in that way and try to be as honest as we can with that point of view. And it's fun. Actually, I really enjoy that because like I will find myself sometimes when I'm working through a point of view that I don't necessarily agree with. I'll start trying to cheap shot it, <laughs> straw man it, or, you know, and I'll just catch myself like, Oh, to make yourself feel better. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, my, my, I'm yeah. so justified in me feeling this way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that we went to a place that I think we were both nervous about going to. Mm-hmm. We seem to go there naturally. Mm-hmm. I hope that we start engaging more subjects that make us uncomfortable mm-hmm. in a natural way. Yeah. And I think, we should not split this episode mm-hmm. and yes, let this right. one play Yeah, um, and wrap it up for the night. Yeah. That sounds good. Is there anything, is there anything off uh, that you haven't, that you feel like you need to wrap up with or anything that, that you'd like to. Uh, no, I think that, I think that was kind of my main sentiment. It's like, mm-hmm. let's, let's keep doing this. Let's keep mm-hmm. going places and, and, and taking risks to be wrong and taking risks to say things that maybe we want to change later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think the world needs more of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I like that. Yeah. Hmm. I could leave, I could, I'll end with a quote. Because <laughs> uh, I think it's, it's uh, apropos. What does apropos mean? Uh, to the point. Uh, apropos. Relevant. <laughs> Fits the situation. Um, so this is this is totally apropos. Uh-huh, nice. This is a quote from Jeff Bezos, um, and I'm just going to read the whole thing, and we'll see how this finishes it out. 
I observed people who are right a lot, and I noticed a few things about them. People who are right a lot, they listen a lot. And people who are right a lot change their mind a lot. And people who are right a lot, they seek to disconfirm their most profoundly held convictions, which is very unnatural for humans. We like to observe the evidence that confirms our pre-existing beliefs. And people who are right a lot work very hard to do that unnatural thing of trying to disconfirm their beliefs. Changing your mind a lot is so important. You should never let anybody trap you with anything you've said in the past. Sometimes you get new data, and when you get new data, you should change your mind. By the way, sometimes you don't get new data, and you just realize the situation, and you realize it's more complicated than you initially thought, and you change your mind. It's frustrating to watch politicians because they're not allowed to change their mind. As soon as they change their mind, they get accused of being flip-floppers, when reality is anybody who doesn't change their mind a lot is dramatically underestimating the complexity of the world that we live in. Damn. Shores of ignorance. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. That was good. That was a good ending. <laughs> that was very really good. Glad I thought of that. All right. And end. <laughs> <laughs> See you. See you, guys.